0: Today's reading comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and to earn their own living. But as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. This is God's word. You may
1: be seated. Good morning, Mac family. I'm, I'm one of your elders. My name is Alex Bowman. Uh, just to introduce myself, and I also want to introduce two people. I'm so glad you're here, my parents who, who came all the way from Virginia and uh, left some 79-degree temperatures to, to be with us yesterday uh, at that freezing uh, event, uh, Max Sports, that we're all thankful for. So I- I'm, really, I'm really glad you're here. Also, I want to, uh, so just to honor you, thank you guys for so much for coming. I also want to shout out Doretha uh, from WORK one of my colleagues who's been at the firm for 15 plus years. She uh, is, a, is a prayer warrior on my hall and in our firm, and it is a blessing to have you. And I also see a few other people, Lynetta and Jalen, Stewart, Kalisa, Arias. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Okay, so we, we are in Thessalonians. We read through books of the Bible as a church. We were just in 1 Thessalonians, and now we are in 2 Thessalonians. And uh, Paul is, is writing to, to, the, to the church in Thessalonica. And to give you a glimpse in the setting, Thessalonica is, is a city in, in Macedonia. And it's a city uh, that, it's a port city, and it meets when where two big Roman wor- roads meet. So you can imagine this is a vibrant place, uh, a lot of activity. It's a, it's a busy, uh, busy city. Uh, so, so that's where we are. And Paul, Paul went there with Silas, and he went there with Timothy, and they, they taught the word of God. They, they planted a church there. And unfortunately, through, due to persecution and, and whatnot, while they were there that we see in Acts 17, they were pushed out. They had to leave. And Paul would say that he had to leave before he, he wanted to. He had to leave early. And, and so you, you get these letters. Uh, Paul sent Timothy back uh, to, to see what was going on in the church. And uh, Timothy gives him reports. And, and Paul and Timothy both notice a few problems in the church. And we're going to focus on one of those problems today. We're going to talk about the Thessalonians, how they were dealing with this problem. And, and, and the application will be, how does that apply in our own church? How do, how do we think about that today? And for, for you that are guests, think about that in, in your own settings, in your own church. So let, let us um, jump in. The, the title of today's message is, a busy church. So we're going to talk about the, the busy church in Thessalonica. So let, let's pray. Father God, we trust and rest in you. We know that you are a good God, that, that your word is pure and perfect, and we can trust it. We ask that you will minister to us, uh, that folks will hear you today, that your Holy Spirit will speak through me, and that you will be present with us, Father. Show us what you have for us, Lord. We love you, God. It's in your name. Amen. So the Today's sermon is going to be divided up into four different sections. Uh, We're going to talk about the concerns of the busy church, commands Paul has for the busy church, and some convictions of the busy church. What were they believing? And then the call of the busy church. So let's jump back to the concerns. and, And we see the concerns Paul has when we look at verses 10 and 11. So we're going to jump to the middle text. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, so the first time Paul was there, he was talking about this. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So what Paul has heard about the busy church is that there are two types of people there. There are these people who are busy at work and people who are, are busy bodies. And if you, if you look deeper into the text, which is what we're about to do uh, you'll learn more about what it means to be this type of busybody church member. So the busybody church member is not willing to work. The busybody church member walks in idleness and the busybody church member stirs up trouble. So th- so that's where we're going. Uh, is not willing to work. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So one key aspect I want you guys all to get is that the busybody church member was not willing to work. This implies that there was work. Don't have in your mind uh, people who just got laid off by their employers. Don't have in your mind folks who struggle to find work due to discrimination. Don't have in your mind folks who struggle with disability and, and, and they're, they're not able to find the work they need. Don't have in your mind people who clean up their resumes and they're knocking on doors to find work they're hustling. No. Uh the busybodies are able to work, but they choose not to. Paul says, let these busybodies not eat. So we learned that instead of working, the busybodies were going over to your house, yeah. other people's houses, uh, to, to find food, to find, you know, clothing, to, to find the things that they needed to live. Uh, so, well, you ever meet anybody like that? Uh, so... The, the busybody church member is not willing to work, and yet they want to come over to, to other members' houses to get food. They freeload. Uh, they, they're moochers. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to go more in depth on that later, so just hold tight. Number two, the, they, they walk in idleness. Verse 11, the Bible says, We hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy body, bodies they walk in idleness. So what does walking mean? Walking is something that's ongoing. It's a lifestyle. It's not just, oh man, I slipped up. I had a lapse in judgment. This is who they are. This is what they do. This is how they live. Uh, And the the NASB version says leading an undisciplined life. So think of someone who has a disordered lifestyle. They're undisciplined. They, they lack moral uprightness or moral discipline. Uh, they, they are, they're not on the straight and narrow. They're on the crooked and, and crooked. They're, they're just, they're, they're, not, they're not going the way they should be. Uh, so they're living these unruly, disordered lives. They're idle. And I like to say, and maybe somebody else said this first, I don't know, but I like to say that idleness breeds sin. Uh, when, when you have a lot of free time on your hands, when you're bored, when you're talking about being bored you're probably going to get into trouble soon. And I I lead the youth group here, and I know the parents here know this. And I like to say one of the most dangerous hours in a child's life is from the moment the bell rings to when they open, put the key in the lock, and open up your front door. You have no idea what's going on. That is the the prime time for them to get into no good. And, And it's because they're idle. They don't have a program. They don't have... You know, And so that's why parents try to put their kids in all these programs, summer programs, all this stuff, to keep them from being bored, keep them from being idle, keep them out of trouble. So that—that that is just a side note on what idleness does. It, it breeds sin. So the busybody church member is idle. They walk in that. And, and lastly, the busybody church member stirs up trouble. We see this in 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 14. And so the backdrop for this this passage, and i 'm using this passage because it 's Paul writing. He, he uses the word "busybody in the, in the passage, and he gives it one more layer on it so he's talking he 's talking to Timothy about widows and whether widows should receive the, the physical support of the church, when should they and when shouldn 't they and He talks about how older widows uh, who, who won 't remarry and who are living uh, ordered lives uh, of high discipline, they should receive the physical support of the church. Uh, But if you jump to 11, uh, but it refused to enroll younger widows, the idle ones, because besides their desire to remarry, they learned to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So we learn here a little bit more about what Paul means. He, he means that these busybodies stir up trouble. They're, they're not content to be alone in their sin. They, they want to draw you and other people in it. They, they, they stir up trouble. They go from house to house, spreading lives, presumably about other people in the church. Okay, so the busybody church member is not willing to work. They walk in idleness, and they stir up trouble. Uh, so uh, who do you think of when you think of busy body. So are you thinking of rich people, poor people, just poor people? Everybody. It's the lazy people. So I don't care. People like to use this passage to talk about people on welfare and all this stuff. That's not what this is about. Paul is talking about lazy people who, who, who are mooching and freeloading off of others. This is not a passage to say, let's get rid of welfare. This, this is not what this is about. Uh, it's, it's about lazy people in the church, sucking the generosity out of the church. Okay, so Paul sees this too, and and because of that, he has some commands he, he gives the busy church. Okay, command number one is keep away from busybodies. Verse six says, now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Paul says to the Thessalonians, keep away from those idle busybody people in your church, who are not willing to work, but are able. Paul wants the, to, to make clear to the Thessalonians, make clear to these other people that their lifestyle is wrong. And I'm not going to go in depth on this. Alvin's actually going to be preaching on some verses related to this, of staying away from these people who are in sin in a couple weeks. So, so stay tuned. Uh, but, but Paul gives his own testimony in verse 7. For you ourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. So we see Paul, we see, we see Timothy, we see Silas going out of their way, uh, something they had a right. They had a right to ask for support from the church, but they're going out of the way. Uh, They're they're working, they're moonlighting, they're preaching all day and working all night uh, in order to not, to to send clear a message to the Thessalonians that, that this is a problem. Okay, number two, command number two, for those not willing to work, let them not eat. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, this is the second command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So, I said this already, but the busybodies in the busy church were were knocking on doors and feasting like parasites on the hard work of other people. They were freeloaders, they were moochers, and the busybodies preyed on the generosity of the church. They need not work for food because they can go over to other people's houses down the street to get some. So, Paul has a command. He says, let them not eat. Paul's command is don't let these people feast off the generosity of the church. Stop enabling them to be busybodies. Let them not eat. Uh, If he's unwilling to work well, then he is not to eat either. We'll talk more about this a little bit, but there's this laziness, this mooching, and Paul's deep concern is that it will affect the ability of the church to show love to each other because of how... They're impacted by that mooching. Number three, work quietly and earn your own living. So this is how Paul wants people in the busy church to live, how how he wants people in the busy church to operate. Verse 11 and 12. Jump to verse 12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus, so this is a command for the busybodies, work quietly, earn your own living. Working quietly is when you work in a way that draws your Draws others' attention not to you, but to to the work you're doing, the quality of it, uh, how how good it is, and it, it it doesn't express pride in yourself, but pride in the work, and and earns their own living. The the King James version, NESB also says, eats their own bread uh, by their own work, by their own toil, by their own labor, they eat from the sweat of the their brow. Uh, f- they eat, meaning they aren't eating off other people's sweat. They aren't coming over to other people's houses after they worked all day and eating your food. Uh, They aren't moochers, they are providers. So so this is the third command Paul gives. Okay, so so how did the the busy church fall into this? what, What led to this? What led to this problem? They had some false convictions, okay? They had some potentially false conviction. So why was the busy church struggling so much with this issue? Number one, we, we think, some, some scholars think that they had a false view of the second coming. Uh, something, the reason is because many Thessalonians uh, had this this thought, this idea about the second coming, the day of the Lord, the day that, that God would punish and judge all people who weren't with him, and he would be faithful and save those people who are. Uh, and, and you can see this in First Thessalonians 4, 13. You see this in 1 Thessalonians 5. You see this in 2 Thessalonians 2. All these passages with Paul addressing the Thessalonians on what to believe about the second coming. So some think they were uh, so caught up in, in the concept of Jesus is coming. He's coming imminently. So why am I wasting my time working? Why, why should I spend my, my, all my day at my nine to five? Uh, and, and some of them even thought they were more spiritual because of this. You guys, you know, you're on that secular life. I, you you you're at work. I, I am, you know, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm praying all day. I ain't going to work. I'm praying all day. But I'll go to your house for dinner, but I'm going to pray all day, okay? <laughs> and... and 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 Paul says, yes, the Lord will come like a thief in the night, but you've gotten the response wrong. You you see verse 7, you see verse 8, you see verse 9. Imitate me. Imitate the toil. Imitate the fact that I'm working all night and day. Yes, yes, he's coming. We don't know when. Yes, he could come tomorrow. We don't know when, but I haven't stopped working to share the good news. And and, and Paul wants them to, to, to do that too. So it's potentially this, this, this false view about the second coming that led into this. And the other idea is just they were convicted. They saw the generosity of the church, and they didn't know what to do about it, or they had the wrong response to it. Second coming aside, the Thessalonians were, were taking advantage of the church's generosity. We are Christians now. We, we have all things in common. What's yours is mine. What's, what's mine is yours, you know. They've read the passages in Acts about all things in common. That's Acts 4, 32. But they weren't listening to the text, the other text, uh, Paul's example on working hard and working hard so you can provide for your family so you can be generous and they can be generous. And and so Paul recognized that they got this this busy at work versus busy at church or busy, busy body dichotomy, that they got this all wrong. And it was affecting their ability to be a witness. And And that leads us to the call of the busy church. So Paul was deeply concerned about the ability of the busy Thessalonian church to to fulfill its calling, the the purpose God has for the church. And and so I guess that presupposes the question, what what does God want his church to be about? So for the Thessalonians and the church around the globe, one of the, the the two big, big things the church should be about is being the church. Uh, The the church should be the church. Uh, So number one, let the church be the church to the church. And number two, let the church be the church to the world. So ultimately, Paul was concerned about witness, the ability for the church to reflect Christ to itself, to other members in the church, and to reflect Christ throughout the world. Uh, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. And it means, or one definition for it is is it means called out ones. We as Christians are are called out to be about Christ, to share about Christ with the whole world, uh, with each other when we're struggling, with, with each other, with prophetic witness. And he wants the church to be doing that. God wants the church to be doing that. Verse 13, as for you brothers, do not grow weary and doing good. So Paul concludes this whole passage to the busy church. And he says, Hey, church, this is my concern that in focusing and being burdened by the busybodies in your congregation, you will stop being the church to each other. That you will grow weary, or another church translation says, that you would lose heart. That you will lose heart in doing good and being generous to your brother and sister because of how these moochers have affected the church. So his concern is that the moochers and and the freeloaders within the church will will seek out that generosity when they don't need it. And these people have the ability and power to work for themselves and that these busybodies will cause the rest of the church to, to stop wanting to give, stop wanting to help, stop wanting to serve. What's wrong with this? When the church responds this way, it no longer is having a key element of that witness it's supposed to have to each other. That brotherly love it's supposed to express to to itself. And that brotherly brotherly love that it has, that it shows to the world, is no longer there. Let Let the church be the church to the world. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 Uh, 9 through 12. So this is in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. This is what he says. Uh, He's talking about one of the key things he's seen about the busy church. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, throughout the whole country. People know about how you love each other. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So one of the key things that that throughout the world, throughout Macedonia, throughout this Roman world about the Thessalonian church that is clear is how they care for each other. People see that love outsiders look at it and they're like, what's going on here? Uh, I have a story. You might like stories. We'll see. So both of our pastors have shown a great deal of love and care for our family. Uh, one story applies to this. So um, Pastor Leon gave me some shirts. He gave me some dress shirts. And in fact, they were the nicest two dress shirts I owned uh, at the time. But um, I'm balling. Yeah, 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 no. Thank you. Thank you. But anyway, so I'm at work and people are complimenting what I wear. And every single time I happen to be wearing one of Pastor Leon's shirts, I would say, my pastor gave me that shirt. They'd be like, what's a pastor giving a lawyer a shirt? And, and so instantly I'm able to reflect on how we as a church share love to one another and what we've been doing, what we do, what we do every day. You know, how how we bring meals when we're sick, how we how we do how we visit each other, how we pray for each other, give rides all these things we do, I'm able to now point people to because of this one example of grace in my life. 1 Thessalonians 6 through 8 also talks about the example of the busy church, that the, the example they had on, on the world. The busy church had become a model for others because of how they showed love and care. Paul's concern, again, is that the moochers will claw, claw out that generosity, that they will rip it from the heart of the church, what makes it the church? We're a busy church too, MacAff. We're a very busy church. Uh, there's a great deal of brotherly love we show to one another. We pray for one another. We visit each other when we're sick. We, we, we have dinners with, with one another. We visit each other in the hospital. We throw parties. There's a party today for Scott. We love you. Um, <laughs> We babysit, we tutor, we do all this stuff. Praise the Lord, right? That's, that is great. Paul is saying that is great. When we do these things, God is pleased because the church is being the church to itself. And the world sees it too. Our neighbors see it. Uh, it, it reflects God, God's goodness and it testifies that we're not selfish, that we're not self-hoarding. We're not, you know, living for our stuff, but instead we hold it freely for others. But I have some words for, of caution for us too. So to, to those who are, who are quick to receive, I, I want you guys to, and this is all of us sometimes, ask yourself a few questions before you receive from the generosity of the church. Am I not willing to work? This goes back to verse, to, to verse 10. If you could get a job uh, but choose not to do so, Paul is saying you are the type of person who should stop calling on the generosity of the church. Stop freeloading. Remember when you do this, you take advantage of the generosity of the church. You take advantage of real people who worked hard for what they have. If you have a job, this, this does not mean you're off the hook. Are you just asking for help because you're too cheap? Uh, you haven't taken the time or energy to, to budget properly, and you, you just haven't been thoughtful leading into this. Uh, and, and not that a budget solves everything. Um, I was talking to Leon about this. This is a stewardship issue. I could could budget a lot of things and and just put a line out in my budget for it, but that doesn't mean it's right and doesn't mean I should be or shouldn't be spending money on that thing. So we need grace. We make mistakes. Sometimes, you know, you might have something you buy that you should, or there's grace for that. Uh, But ask yourself that question, am I not willing to work? Has idleness got me into this situation? Uh, Verse 11 When we look at the idleness issue of the busy church, don't necessarily have in mind people going around doing nothing. The idle person is around, but they're just up to no good. There's there's a character issue or moral issue, a moral failure, moral uprightness issue, some type of sin that's present. If that type of idleness is what got you into the situation, you need to be upfront about it. When you're receiving, or before receiving, or soon after receiving the help of the church, because you're just going to end up back there. If if we don't work through or talk about that heart problem that got you into this, you'll end up in the same place. This this is the guy who's addicted to smoking, drops the cigarette, and the house burns on fire. They knock on your door, and you help put them out, but they don't tell you they're addicted to smoking. Um, and that's a that's a crazy, that's an extreme example, but it could happen. And uh, I, have, I have another example from my own life. So I am a recovering reckless driver. Um, some of you have experienced this. Some of you, mom and dad, you're like, not my baby, not my baby. So uh, <laughs> I am recovering. Uh, there, my senior year in high school, I was, uh, it was the last day of finals, and I had stayed later than I should have because I knew this snowstorm was coming. And I'm from Virginia. We don't do snowstorms. I know y'all are from West Michigan. Y'all love snowstorms. <laughs> That's not how we roll, okay? And so there was this snowstorm, and so I'm driving home, and I'm trying to get home. I don't know why I'm in such a hurry. Maybe mom had made something great. I don't know. But I'm in a hurry to get home, and I, it is coming down crazy. I think we got like 14 inches. It was, it was something ridiculous. And I see trucks passing me, and I'm like, no. Nah. Y'all are not passing me, so I speed up. I get confident. I get a little cocky, and I start rolling. And what happened, um, as you can imagine, but so I ended up spinning out, and I hit the guardrail. And um, but you're probably like, oh, I learned my lesson, right? No. So I, I turned back around. I got back on the highway, and I was like, all right, all right, just a fluke, you know Sam. And so I grabbed the wheel again, and trucks are past me. Yes, there were a couple trucks in the ditch. And I was like, yep, y'all couldn't do it, but I can. And so I start going faster again. And I'm talking like 40. People, you know, I probably should have been like 25, but I was like, I'm going to get home in three hours if I go 25. So there, there was, and you're like, what happened? I end up spinning out again. I hit the guardrail again. I end up in oncoming traffic, and I have to reverse out of the way. Um, so that I could be safe. And I ended up calling my dad, and my dad and my brother picked me up because I was so traumatized by by what had happened. And the fact of the matter is, I failed. Um, And I failed because I did not tell them what got me into that situation where I needed help. I should have told them about my pride, my arrogance, my stupidity that led to this. And Potentially, they could have blessed me and poured into me and helped me see that that pride and arrogance was affecting other areas of my life as well. Number three, could, could the need I have provide an opportunity to hire? Verse 10. So we see in verse 10 that Paul calls out those who are not willing to work but are prone to ask for help. Uh, but we may not see this scenario often. That, that's not Detroit. That's not our climate. There are many out here who are willing to work, but but they need work. Um, They need help. The church can be the church to these people. Instead of asking for help, look for opportunities to potentially hire people. Um, When we do this, now we're saying saying to these people who, who are willing to work but not able to find it, now they're able to work and provide for their families and they're able to give. It's important to note here we have families in our own church who even when they don't have work, they're giving like crazy to this local body. They're here all day on Sunday, and then they're looking for work on Monday. That's the type of people we have here too. But it's important to think about when you need help, uh, potentially, can I hire someone? So I have a couple of examples. So rides to the airport is one example I thought of. Um, instead of calling on the generosity of the church to get a free ride from the airport, consider hiring someone from our busy church to take you. Uh, And if time and budget permit, instead of hiring your small group to to do your home repairs, which you guys have done for us. Thank you so much. uh, (laughs) Consider. And this is a word for me. Lord, help me. Okay, consider hiring one of the carpenters. you, You know, we got so many of them. One of the painters, one of the, you know. We have so many people like that who can help us. Let's think about that. This is not to say Mac groups stop serving one another. This is not to say Mac groups stop being generous. The point is Mac groups should be generous and Mac groups are being generous. We just don't want that to be sucked out of our church. We don't want to take advantage of that generosity. Okay, so to, to those who are slow to give potentially because uh, you've, you've been taken advantage of or someone's taken advantage of your, your generosity I more fall into this camp, But as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Same, same message. Uh, you, you ever give somebody something, and, and based on their reaction, or, or lack thereof, you want to immediately give it back? Anybody? Just me? Okay. So another example of this. So my brother uh, has an amazing shoe collection. It, it is, you know, every Jordan, every Air Max, He's got the closet with the lights, you know. It, it is, it's stunning. It's awesome. Uh, and he's got the whole nine. It's impressive. But, um, so you guys know I'm a runner. I'm a runner. I really like shoes, too. And so my brother was, found a way to care for me. He had worked hard for these shoes, and he actually gave me a pair of Nike uh, running shoes. He, he, uh, he, he was trying to care for me. And you know, you all know what I did, right? I gave them away. Okay. <laughs> So my brother got really frustrated, you know, uh, obviously, rightly so. The gift he'd given me to bless me, to care for me, I gave him away. I took him for granted. And uh, so what do we learn from this? Uh, Do you think my brother will give, will will maybe think twice before he gives me another pair of shoes? Yeah. And, And rightly so. The way we receive a gift, the way we receive service uh, it affects the giver. How we receive it, if, if we take it for granted, they may become less likely to give to someone else. Also, there, there's an accepting issue. I, I didn't need those shoes, but I, but I took them anyway. Uh, and I re-gifted them because I did not need them. If I told my brother, hey, I love you, bro. I don't need these shoes. Thank you. This, this cares for me, but I don't need them. He could have taken them, taken the money from them, or done something else, given them to someone else who needed them. When we give help to people who don't need it, that's gone. Their ability to help someone who does is gone. Also, another caution here is is sometimes we give to people expecting a certain reaction. We give expecting to people to respond how we respond to that gift, to, to like it to the same level you like it. And... We get frustrated when, when they don't. And if that sounds like you, be careful because the mentality, that mentality, having that mentality can put a stranglehold on your generosity. It may show that you, re, re, you, that you desire uh, to see the recipient, in a sense, worship this stuff instead of worshiping God as the giver, uh, to worship you as the giver instead of worshiping God do not grow weary in doing good. Do, do not lose heart. So the, the last question is how? How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we keep doing this? We have a church. We're supposed to love one another. I may give you something and you don't express that, that desire that I wanted you to express. How do, how do we keep going on at this? How do we not lose heart? How do we do, verse 13, do not grow weary in doing good? We look to Jesus as the head of the busy church. When you give, remember Christ. You were not the first giver. Christ gave richly to you. We see this on the cross. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He poured himself out for us. 2 Corinthians five. Twenty-one. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you give, remember Christ. Remember how richly he gave to you. He gave himself to you. When you receive, remember Christ. Let it, let it draw you to Christ. Let it draw you to worship when you receive. Ephesians 1, 7 In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. When we receive from the church, from our brothers and sisters, we should be reminded of the redemption Christ bought for us on the cross by his blood. When we receive, we should be led to worship Christ more and more because it should call upon us to reflect on the great work of salvation he has birthed in us that he has worked out in our lives, that salvation. When we receive or when we give, it should lead us to reflect on Jesus, the head of the busy church, the head of this local church, Macab. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for how richly you have blessed us. We thank you so much for Jesus, the sweetest and most awesome example of how richly you have given to us I thank you for for what this local church has meant in my life, how this church has blessed me, how the pastors, the staff, so many of you have blessed my family. Lord, I ask that this brotherly love in our church, like the Thessalonians, will show forth in our neighborhood, in this world, Lord, that folks will see this generosity and be drawn to you, Christ. I want to know what's going on on Mack Avenue, Lord, what's going on in this neighborhood, that folks are loving each other in that way. I pray that this love will encourage us, Lord, that it it will draw us to worship you. We pray these things in Christ's name.